Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L. On Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Hi there, it is Madam Adams, Cindy Adams from the New York Post. I'm in the New York Post Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Sunday. I'm on WABC, 770 on the AM dial, every Sunday, 1 to 2 p.m. So you have no reason for not listening to me or reading me or cursing me or whatever. Do something. I want to share a story. I'm just in the mood to tell you something. This, it, it's just struck me funny. I was in a restaurant, and a long-haired creature arrived at the restaurant. And one diner said, you know, it's just terrible how boys almost try to resemble girls now. And the second diner said, that's no girl. That's my son. And the first diner said, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I, I didn't know you were his mother. And the first diner said, I'm not. I'm the father. I just thought I'd share this one with you. Maybe I'll share another one, another little thing. The story about Huma, who used to be and still is Hillary's number one person, and that she's now found romance with the actor Bradley Cooper, and that she's no longer bothering with her ex, Anthony Weiner. Let me tell you, she is still connected to Anthony Weiner because I called her recently. I told her something, and then I bumped into Anthony Weiner, who repeated to me, word for word, what I had told Huma a few days earlier on the phone. So she's playing one against the other. It's sort of a sandwich. Now I want to share a conundrum. I'm filled with lots of little things I feel like getting rid of. Um... Manhattan has fleets of elongated, double-connected, block-long, stretched buses. They jam the streets. There may be three human beings on each. Each of these buses are lengthened and extended and never separated, and no vehicles can pass or get in front of them, and traffic stays clogged back to Atlantic City. I understand Manhattan has to transport riders in rush hour. But 2 p.m., 3 p.m., 4 p.m., can't these giant things just work rush hours or get double-deckers or, or bring back oxen so others of us can manage to navigate our roads? I am now finished with all these things. Now I want to go into Elton John's farewell. His shout-out to New York City brings up a crate load of memories. Did you know he has 4,000 pair of sunglasses? For his fundraiser once, Sarah Ferguson, who was a duchess for an hour and a half, Sarah Ferguson posed nude for him to celebrate his book, Four Inches. Now, what the four inches was, this I don't know. Not sure I care either. I'm just telling you. Do you know that he spent $20,000 on one diamond dog collar? And that Liz Hurley's thanks to him for whatever was buying his $1,500 worth of cherry trees. 
What he did with them, this I also don't know. His middle name, Hercules. Houseguested, he did, at Karl Lagerfeld's Berlin Pad. June 2000, I reported he broke his weekly $1.5 million spending budget. I reported that in the column. He sent Mary J. Blige once, in thanks for something, a grand piano. And this is so nice. To protect her grass, Queen Elizabeth banned his limo from Buckingham Palace grounds. He got driven instead in a golf cart. There's a jeweler named Lori Rodkin. She designed for him a $1,200 diamond ring. It spelled F-U and spelled out the whole world word. In 92, Donald Trump attended his concert with Miss Universe. At the same time, a Madison Square Garden guard sued Elton John for $100 million for something. I forgot what. It didn't go anywhere. June 2012, someone actually thought he was Phil Collins. And he has said, quote, organized religion does not work. And at a benefit, he bid for a walk-on in a Superman sequel, but he lost to a knight, K-N-I-G-H-T, a knight who bid $80,000. Who knew knights were so rich? It was Elton's usual boring life. Well, I think I would like a weekend of goodbyes to friends. Paul Sorvino once coached Marla Maples for a TV pilot. He was once selling supermarket sausages to make a living, and he tried to sell them to Boston's Abe and Louie's Steakhouse. Le Cirque, which was a high-class restaurant back a ways, asked him, since he sang opera, asked Paul Sorvino to sing opera when they got Woody Allen to play the sax. In 96, he hugged Quentin Tarantino when his daughter Mira got best supporting from Mighty Aphrodite. He entertained at homeless shelters and he sang Italian songs at Patsy's. His daughter Mira, Mira who dearly loved him, said, We were once so poor, I slept in a drawer. Well, then I go on the other side of life, and I was speaking with Rue Paul, who was definitely not a drag to talk with. He said to me, Oh, honey, my husband is so effing rich that I have no worries. I come from an effing hillbilly father. Fans show up, and I just effing put it all on. RuPaul said to me, I started in the late 80s in clubs when we all partied. I wasn't hot then. I took off around 92. Now my biggest competition is me, myself. And with all the Emmys I've gotten, I have to try to stay interested and not be bored anymore. I think maybe I just caught my second wind. For a while, I took four years off and I just plain 
partied. You know, I'm looking forever for more girls. I need more girls on the show because the impetus is on color and fun. I've seen like 200 of them, but go find one effing girl who works as hard as I do. I need to find someone I can actually stand to be around. They're so boring. You can tear away all that makeup, that wig stuff, and everything else, but you've got to be reborn. You've got to let yourself go. You've got to turn winter into summer. Your frequency has to shine. And he said to me, Some of those fat asses I've seen, they're like wood. They don't move. And listen, real celebrities are no different than my onstage queens. They're all fake. So speaking to RuPaul, he said to me, Nobody talks about luck. Talent is help. But what makes anyone laugh is a great work ethic. Listen, I just open the door, then open a box of clothes, and that's it. Bada bing. You gotta know, though, that jealousy is everybody. I'm writing my autobiography, No Bull, The Real Deal. I'll tell all. I got nothing to hide. It's a personal, emotional story. I finally want to tell me, the true me. I want to tell people that despite all the makeup and the fun and the glamour, life can be a pain. You cannot sidestep the pain of life. Miss Rue has more seasons coming up of his drag race. Plus, he has a Paramount Plus thing. Plus, she's planning a movie and a game show and a New Zealand tour. And you know, she, he said to me, I still have every one of my schmatas. I don't want them on eBay. I will tour them. I will effing put them in a museum. Okay, I have been rattling on, but be it known that every future child born in the United States will be endowed with life, liberty, and a share of Biden's debt. And now I'm going to go to a quick station break, and then I'll be right back. All the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on 77 WABC. Okay, I am now about to speak to Gene Simmons. You know him as the big star of Kiss, of the famous makeup that he used to wear on stage, of his famous tongue that he always stuck out, of the fact that he breathed fire on stage. He is now making his farewell tour, and I hope this is not his farewell interview with me. We're now about to speak to Gene Simmons. You were born Chaim Witzen in Haifa. I never did understand the early... You're saying, it, you're saying it the way the Ashkenazi say It's actually Chaim. Oh, listen, leave me alone. You're lucky I'm alive, for God's sake. I'm just so glad to talk to you. Stop picking on me. What did you do before KISS? How did you, how did you begin from where you were to what you are now? How did it start? 
Well, my mother and I uh, came to America when I was about uh, eight and a half years of age, and I couldn't speak a word of English. But I noticed uh, just everything was big. The word big was America. The streets were big. Yeah, the cars were big. People were bigger. Sandwiches were enormous. You know, the land of plenty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I devoured American culture, comic books. Uh, I turned on something, a box called TV, which I'd never seen before when I came here in 1958. Maybe it was 1858. And <laughs> yeah, I, saw people, okay. I saw people flying through the air. Nothing I ever imagined was possible. And huge monsters and an ape the size of a skyscraper. It was just beyond anything I ever imagined. And to this day, I'm just so uh, enamored of American culture, rock and roll, movies, TV. The idea of a superhero was born right here in America. And uh, only a land that has no rules like this could invent something like that. So, How did you get here? How did you get here? My mother and I flew on El Al Airlines, which was then a prop play. Yeah, yeah, my yeah. mother had gotten divorced from my father, who was a hound, had four or five other marriages and half-sisters and half-brothers all over the place. I guess he was doing the Lord's work. The good book says, spread thy seed, and he took no prisoners. He was just bang, 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 bang. Uh, it and seems to me his son is doing similarly. <laughs> well, you're you're I, I out there doing have, the work, honey. I so. certainly have <laughs> sold my sold, uh, oats, but uh, I've been married to Shannon now quite a few years, and this is the only marriage I will ever have. So tell me, is this to be your final tour ever? I mean, that's what they're saying. Oh, what are you going? I mean, Streisand made 700 final tours. Is this to be one of your 700? final tours? Well, this has to be our final one. Uh, I'm turning 73 um, this August, tomorrow, tomorrow, next month. And by the nature of what we do, I carry around about 40 pounds of extra armor and seven inch platform heels, the yeah. dragon boots. Yeah. So the physicality of what we do, it has to be the last tour. I can't do what blues musicians do which is sit in a chair and just comfortably pick at a guitar yeah. and you know that's enough i've seen uh some other bands names the names the names don't matter that stay on the stage too long and anybody that's been on the stage will tell you better to get off while the getting's good instead of waiting too long no this is going to be <coughs> the last tour but having said that we'll still be out there for another year at least but Gene Simmons will do what? What are you going to do? Sit home and crochet? What are you going to do? Well, uh, I'm the male of the species, so we tend not to crochet. Okay. But we'll buy you the stuff so that you can crochet. Thank but you very much. Smartass. Yeah, go ahead. What are you going to do? Well, I'm a partner in an artificial intelligence company called Noble. I'm a founding partner in a restaurant chain called Rock and Brews, B-R-E-W-S. We have two at LAX, and they're spread out across America. Uh, the first three Rock and Brews casinos uh, just opened. 
So that's going to be a full-time thing. I've got the Gene Simmons band on the side, <laughs> and I'm involved in all kinds of uh, crypto things. I do speaking engagements. There'll be lots, lots of stuff. Of course, nothing will compare to being able to wear more makeup and higher heels than you ever wore, Cindy. Oh, watch your mouth, honey. Just watch your mouth. The point is, if you are supposed to have slept with 5,000 women, which seems absolutely impossible, there would be very little of you left. You'd be half your size by now. How much, how much, how much could you possibly have done in terms of making love? Not that I'm offering or anything. I'm just asking. I don't think making love is the right uh, term. You know, when you've got a horny 14-year-old boy who goes around and, and does all that, That's that ain't love. What, what is it the 14-year-old boy does? I don't want to miss anything. What does he do? <laughs> That's what he does. Is that what you do when you're making love, hon? Well, I don't hear you. Love. <laughs> the male of the species, uh, it yeah. takes a long time for the heart to connect to the physicality of it. So, Listen, I'm losing my mind here. Go ahead. C continue on. I'm just so happy to talk to you. I don't give a damn what you say. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that I wouldn't have called anything that I did in the past love. It's only until I, uh, I met Shannon and we had the kids and everything that love came into it. I don't think men are capable of falling in love in their early years. Well, what about their late years? Can they fall in love in their late years? Yes, they can. The closer we get to being dead, uh, the more we think about things other than our schmeckle. Excuse yeah. me. I'm, I'm going to really, I don't know what the hell to do with this interview. Just tell me. Now I would like to ask serious things. Do you and Shannon fight? over cold cream at night when you take off the makeup. How does that work? Never. We actually, uh, in, a, in all seriousness, never fight about anything. Because when you think about it, we've got uh, two grown children. Sophie, our daughter, uh, just got engaged. She's going to get married. Nick, uh, you know, they're both teetotalers, no drugs, no booze, no smoking cigarettes. Everybody's got their health and our bellies are full. So there's never any argument about anything that's even worth mentioning. And, you know, I think I've got the secret, which is I wake up in the morning and I say, I'm sorry. And then from <laughs> then on, the day, the day is easy. That's good. That's good. Where did the name KISS come from? Everybody knows all these things, but in case I have some idiot who just tuned in for the first time, I have to go back and ask the simple questions. How did you start with the name Gene Simmons? How did you start with the name KISS? How did you start with the makeup? Tell me. Well, um, being a Jew and coming from Israel especially, I noticed that predominantly in rock and roll, there just weren't any yids, none. <laughs> and the ones who I later found out were changed their name, basically dress British, think Yiddish. So yeah. uh, Tony Curtis, in his later years, he and I became friends. We used to go to dinner and speak only Hungarian because <laughs> I'm fluent in yeah. Hungarian among a few other languages. And then found out that his real name was Bernie Schwartz. Yeah. And that Kirk yeah. Douglas was also a Yid who had a Russian 
Jewish name and on and on and on. And so the great assimilationists were Jews. And so I didn't think Chaim Vitz, which was my original Hebrew name, would work because it just doesn't sound, I don't know, cool, I guess is the name, is the word. I mean, and when you think about it, nobody is born Bono. What's your name? Bono. Nobody's born that, and nobody's born The Edge. Look at my son. I'm going to call him The Edge. <laughs> we, we all realize that show business is all about fantasy and creating uh, an image, and if it even means changing your name, <clears throat> then you don't need your, a last name. Share. You know, you just call yourself one name, and that's okay. You've got artistic license. And so I invented Gene Simmons. I invented myself. I didn't want to be judged by where I came from, uh, what my accent was or anything. I wanted to be a unique life form that only existed on stage. And then Kiss, the story's kind of simple, finding kindred spirits who believed in the idea and the ideal of let's put together the band we never saw on stage. I was always so disappointed by the bands I saw on stage because you may have had some good songs there, but visually it was always such a downer. Yeah. So how do we put together a band that takes no prisoners and puts in bombast 4th of July fireworks shows and visually doesn't look like any other band anywhere. And so was born Kiss almost half a century ago. And since then, we've been able to get literally thousands of licensed and merchandised products. Crazy stuff like Kiss condoms, Kiss caskets. We'll get you coming and we'll get you going, Cindy. Well, thank you, but don't push me too far. I still have a radio program to do. Can you, can you, can you, can you tell me what you mean but when you said that rock and roll is dead, what did you mean by that, Gene? Well, it is, and that's only because fans have stopped paying for music. Um, once the Internet and social media and streaming and all that pays an artist something like four one-hundredths of one cent per download, you can't earn a living. So that means that new bands, especially rock bands, can't quit their day job to do what they do. So when you think about it, from 1958 until 1988, that's 30 years, we had Elvis, the Beatles, the Stones, Hendrix, and, you know, just on and on, classic stuff that so far has stood the test of time. And then you had Madonna and the disco stuff, and you had Motown, classic Motown, you had Prince, David Bowie, on and on and on. YouTube, and even the heavy bands, ACDC, KISS, Metallica, you name it, all came out of that. And then from 1988 until today, which is more than 30 years, yeah. name me the, the new Beatles or the new Elvis. You can't. And that's because, that's because the business model doesn't work. That's because legislation isn't keeping up with streaming and downloading. I mean, there's a minimum wage. You can't work in America without getting at least a minimum wage. But if you write songs or you're a performer, you're getting pennies for your work. Okay, I now understand. And the trouble with you, Gene, is you're very boring to talk to. 
You have nothing to say ever, and that's why I'm never going to speak to you again. Well, Cindy, these are these are semantics, but I'm not anti-semantic. <laughs> and Joey's last name, my husband Joey Adams, his last name was Abramowitz. So that goes to all that you were talking about changing names. Well, of course. <laughs> I mean, the best the best way to survive in uh, nature is to be a chameleon. You know who you are. You don't have to validate it for anybody else except yourself. But if it helps you survive and traverse, uh, not have to deal, uh, that's my take your damn pills thing. But if you want to survive in the jungle, let them think it's a tiger or something else. Well, do you expect that if I have to go now because they have to have a station break, will you talk to me again sometime in the future? Sure. How much? 20 minutes? <laughs> no, I meant how much money. <laughs> I meant how long. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Gene, for you're coming welcome. on with me. Thanks, honey. Stay well. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. A name you know who's in the know. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. I am now about to do an interview with Henry Schleif. He's been my friend forever. He is the boss of an assortment of cable channels. The ones I can remember at the moment, Discovery Channel, Travel Channel, Investigative Destination America Channel. He's the boss of at least half a dozen cable channels. And you will remember when you watched about Jean Benet, about O.J., about Menendez Brothers, he was the one who brought us all the crime stories. Henry Schleif. You are running half of the top channels on, on cable. Where do you come from? Where were you born? Well, originally I grew up uh, on Long Island, on the South Shore of Long Island, in what I think was then and still called the Five Towns, Lawrence, Long Island. And kind of grew up there, but uh, went to school in Philadelphia at Penn College and law school. And what did you study, honey? Well, I became a lawyer. I graduated law school and became a lawyer. And I was an associate at a law firm here in New York, Davis Polk and Ward Well, but kind of quickly uh, pursued my passion, frankly, which was television and figured out a way to get myself over into the general counsel's office of what was then a very small company called Viacom. Nothing like it is today in terms of ownership of Paramount and CBS. But I started really uh, to learn, if you will, the, the television business there, um, largely in business affairs. They were too cheap <laughs> to have somebody full time in business affairs. And I got a call from HBO 
And they said, would you be willing to give up the practice of law and just do negotiations on behalf of HBO? And I think as the person was in the middle of the sentence, I literally left skid marks at the table to join HBO. And from there went on to have the good fortune, if you will, of managing. uh, Certainly I was at Viacom, but thereafter managed Court TV, Hallmark Channel, and a bunch of networks until recently uh, at Discovery, led by ID. You've got so many channels. I didn't know that when you started almost like a lifetime ago, we had all of these cable channels at that time. Well, we did. You know, I think there was a dream, actually, at one point announced by John Malone, really one of the great visionaries in the business world ever. Yeah, yeah. Said that he thought he thought one day there might be as many as 500 channels. I, oh. I think in retrospect he was short by probably another thousand or so, <laughs> giving streaming and all the variations today. How do you how do you get the i? Uh, this is a dumb question, it will seem, but the truth is I don't know how do you get all the ideas for a Discovery Channel, for a travel channel, for a true crime channel. Uh, how do you how do the ideas come about? Well, listen, I think like any successful enterprise creatively, it's not so much the person who is coming up as with the idea as responding to what they hear or see in the marketplace. And I think what we see, frankly, is, you know, looking at as much as as an old vehicle as newspapers, dare I say. But you look at what's on the front page of, of papers and journals and magazines. And in the case of true crime, you know, it was always a lead. And so, frankly, listening, if you will, to the audience and seeing what they're interested in um, doesn't take a, a hell of a lot of imagination to say, let's do this full time from a video perspective. So in the case of a, of a court TV, for example, um, where the popularity, maybe the wrong word, but the fascination with the O.J. Simpson trial it wasn't hard to figure out that trials like that, Menendez, John Benet, what have you, mysteries, could be something that provided the kind of content that viewers would want to watch endlessly. And I think, frankly, that's been the secret all these years. Bottom line, listen to your audience. But what is the fascination with crime? I mean, if you turn on television, there's always a story about the FBI. Or there's a story about a mystery. There's a story about a killer. Why yeah. is it? Why is it so much fascination with crime? Well, listen. I think it harks back to what is fundamentally the element of a of a riveting, fascinating, compelling story. You want something with a great opening, a middle, and a satisfying end. In the case of true crime, Cindy, what you have is the benefit, dare I say, of high stakes, life and death often. Add that to what is generally, not always, but generally uh, a satisfying ending. The bad guy gets caught and goes off to jail for the rest of his life, if not worse, and deservedly so. If you take those kind of stories that are inherently fascinating and add maybe a little topspin to it in in the form of a an intriguing or catchy title, Wives with Knives, Southern Fried Homicide, Sinister Minister. Yeah. If you even top that with a compelling host who shows the correct emotion and uh, sentiment, if you will, and empathy, someone like I've been fortunate to work with, uh, a Paula Zahn, 
um, over the years of Dominic Dunn, most yeah. recently yeah. John yeah. Walsh. You know, yeah. these are all names that are now household names to you, Cindy, and to your yes. millions of, yeah. uh, of readers. But that, that to me, it's, Cindy, it's almost a formula. Take something that has an inherent high stakes life and death, add a clever marketing perspective to it, and do it appropriately with respect for the victims, you get, I think, uh, a network successful, like an ID, and certainly like a series that have run over the years, a Dateline, or frankly, the, uh, the, the dramatic version of this, the success that Dick Wolf has had with Law and & Order and spinoffs. Okay, but some of, these, some of these crime stories are so skewed where we have such hatred in some cases, like for yeah. an OJ or something like that. How did you skew when you did the OJ story? Well, uh, listen, I think the one thing that we want in anything that is entertaining is something that stirs the passion. And I think these stories, in the case of O.J., you feel in the incredible sadness around the victim, Nicole Simpson. Yeah. You, I think, appropriately hate the person who arguably, not arguably in my mind, perpetrated the crime, O.J. Yeah. You have mixed feelings about that unique cast of characters uh, in the in the trial across the board, starting with Johnny Cochran and many others and the judge. So when you put those elements together, the one common denominator I think that you're asking and why these work is that they stir the passion. You and, you, and, and I think in many cases, they play like a puzzle for us. They, we, we sit there and we say, we knew it was the other guy. We knew that person was really innocent. We knew that person was lying. So the idea of, I think, using, um, you know, your, your intuition, I think, we've always skewed slightly more women 25 to 54 because I genuinely believe women have an extraordinary sense of intuition. I, I covered that. I covered the O.J. story. My hatred right. for him was so intense that I, I just don't know how you actually get access to a lot of the people that you want to interview. You don't just run the story. You actually yeah, get no, access. It's, it's, you know, something you really tap on, a, a really good question. Shows in the world of true crime that are successful today are ones that have, quote, good word of mouth in the marketplace, meaning that we show the proper respect as we pursue a story to often the survivors uh, of victims of crime. And these people talk to others so that when we go in and we say, please allow us into your family, please allow us into letting us know the story behind the story. There's obviously and appropriately so some weariness, but if we have a reputation for doing things honestly, with integrity, with sensitivity, it kind of helps to get the story. What about the Jean Benet story? How did you go through with that one? Because the family wasn't very loving. How did you do that? Yeah, well, listen, I, I think in a, in a strange kind of way, that's the quintessential example of a mystery. To this day, it's never been properly solved. All sorts of fingers pointing at any number of would-be suspects without reciting them here. But everybody loves a mystery. And everybody can figure out or look at the evidence and come to a different conclusion. Sadly, that case has not been solved. 
And even, you know, one of the benefits we have today in telling these stories, Cindy, is that we have technology that didn't exist years ago. Yeah. We have forensics, which is an entirely new and wonderful yeah. Yeah. and satisfying field. So there's kind of a hope that one day the combination of science and technology may ultimately lead to the person who is responsible for John Bonet's death. But okay. that's how we got to it. You know, we, uh, what we say is, and there's any one of a number of other mysteries that may not have the prominence that the papers gave that story. And again, because of a cast, if you will, the tragedy of this young, beautiful child. But every, every story, I think, has its, has its victims that we cover. And we kind of look for the passion in the story behind the story. Henry, do you ever get a bang back? Do the people ever get upset at what the way you were de- describe them or, or what you say about them? It's not always so perfect. It's okay for viewers, but they people have sensitivities. Don't you ever get a bang back? You know, we've been... Uh, listen, I'm sure in the course of... I, I have left ID uh, just at yeah. the end of the year. Yeah, yeah I know. Producing for them now and producing for others in the world of true crime. So I can say that there have not been occasions where people ended up unsatisfied with the way we covered the story. But if you look at the volume of cases over 12 years, Cindy, just that ID, you look at another eight plus years behind that at court TV, you know, our batting record is uh, is pretty good. So I'm not going to say it's perfect, and I'm sure we have made mistakes. But we, I think, are understood to be players that really do appreciate and respect the, uh, the, the people involved in these stories. Okay, do you want to tell us about any of the mistakes, Henry? <laughs> well, you know, I wouldn't say there's a mistake so much, but one thing that I, I don't know, regret, one thing that I uh, look back on with actually great degree of, of pride, but regret not doing more of, is um, is uplifting stories that really uh, are impactful in our society today, that not only are based on true crime, but where we, you know, we look at stories of domestic abuse, still, you know, a, a horrible, frankly, disease that permeates this country. O.J. was the quintessential example of domestic abuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah. You know, look at civil rights violations. We look at the inequities that exist in our world today. Um, you know, we look at, to me, uh, gun violence, uh, which to me is an epidemic in our country today, with a variety of well-intended people trying to help resolve this issue. My regret, I do regret, Salah Frank Sinatra, I've had a few. One is yeah, that yeah, we yeah, yeah. have to use our platform. We haven't used a platform that reaches, in the case of these networks, often 70, 80 million homes that they're in. Uh, my regret is that we haven't been more impactful in some of these initiatives and bringing them to the fore. For the moment, I'm, I'm just terribly uh, saddened and focused on gun violence. Um, Cindy, I'm going to give you a secret here. I'm going to give you what was then called breaking news. Yeah, what? There's going to be a mass murder in this country next month. I can't tell you exactly. I can't tell you whether the victims are going to be in a school, a theater, a hospital, a concert. Oh, this is your estimation. Yes, I understand. 
But there is going to be, and yes. the reason I can yes. do that with absolute com, com, complete confidence. Yes, 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 yes. 400 mass shootings this year alone to find there's more than four people dying. And what is it a result of? It's a result of a lot of different things. And, you know, success has a lot of fathers and uh, failure not so much. What I think we have here is there's a lot of people pointing to efforts towards solution. One small piece to me would be the categorization of assault rifles as military weapons. It's not going to make everything change. People will still die from gun violence. But if you took the ability to kill that many people that quickly off the table and said, you know, by the way, Americans, you can't own a tank. You can't drive down the street with a tank. No, I know. I know. The shoulder missile launcher. You know why? They're categorized as uh, military equipment. Military. Why can't we categorize assault rifles as military weapons? You want to go use it? Join the military. No problem. I'm not saying do away with them, but just don't let somebody be able to walk into a store this afternoon and show up next month at a small school and start shooting children and puppies and anything else that moves. Henry, I think you should be knighted. I actually agree with everything you say, and I look forward to your doing something like it in the future. I love you, Henry Heschleife. Thank you for coming on and saying what you I said. I love you. Okay, babe. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Henry. The Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. I'm coming now to the end of the broadcast, but I was just thinking of something. Everybody is saying they want to take a cruise. Everybody is advertising to go on the high seas. I suddenly remembered a, a, a ship tour I made with Barbara Walters. She was about to speak on a ship. It was taking off from Rome. We had to fly to Rome. And I got on the airplane with Barbara. And a doctor, because I haven't been sleeping on planes very well, gave me some Ambien. I'd never taken Ambien. He said it was only 5 milligrams. Well, it ended up being 10 milligrams. I didn't know that. I fell asleep, woke up in some sort of a funk, didn't realize I had taken it, and took another one. So now I had two grams in me of ten each. I fell asleep and fell down and fell out. I was on the plane, and when breakfast time came, I'm sitting next to Barbara Walters, who was very prim and very elegant and very refined and very used to taking photographs, and my head was over into the breakfast omelette. They couldn't wake me up. They had to strap me into a chair, in a wheelchair they got, to get me off the plane. They take me up the ramp, and here she is, all the captain, the everybody is in white, saluting Barbara Walters. And here she is, her plus one, me, fainting, fainting in a wheelchair as I, as I went up. Two days later, I survived. And what happened was we all had dinner in this captain's place and we had a private table and we sat the two of us with our backs to the room 
and another table was next to us, 10 people, and they were speaking loudly about knocking Barbara Walters. They didn't know we were at the next table. And she finally turned around after dinner and said, Hi, I'm Barbara Walters, and this is my plus one, Cindy Adams. Anyway, I just felt like telling you that. I am now going to sign off, and I'm going to say thank you for listening, and please tune me in again next Sunday, WABC, from 1 to 2, and I'll be better next week. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024.